assistant. the sledge. I'll hold him down. Tear him apart. Don't let go. Again. Again! More! That's the wrong tool! It's the wrong tool. It's the sledge. This is what you really want. Come on, let's split this guy wide open! You think this is funny? is about fire. The funny thing about fire is that we like fire. How many of you have been out by a campfire putting sticks in, marshmallows until they're flaming? We like to play with fire. We do. There might be some of you in here who say, well, I, I've never really played with fire. That's not my thing. And I say, well, you know what? You still like fire. Maybe you're the type that likes the crackling fireplace. Fire's intriguing. We use it for so many things. We think it's great. But it can burn you. Fire is like what Satan wants to use. He wants to draw us in, allure us with the notion of fire. Sometimes he uses a sledgehammer, blunt force instrument to destroy. He likes that. Had some effectiveness, Glenn. Had some effectiveness. Other times he likes to use something equally destructive. A wedge. Very different in their approach. 
but destructive nonetheless. We're going to talk about both today and try to make you understand the far-reaching impact that Satan has on you every day. There's a lot of times we think of our lives as, oh, you know what, I just, uh, this would be funny, or this and that, and we don't realize that Satan's at work trying to use a sledge or a wedge on us to cause disruption, to cause despair, damage. He's all about damage. And he's trying to cause damage in your life every day. Let's pray. Our awesome God, together we come before you because you are all-knowing, all-being, all-present, and you've been in our lives. But Lord, we also know that we have an enemy that looks to cheat his way and lie his way into our lives as well. We pray that this time that we can spend together would be honor and glory to you to identify who our enemy is. And that we can also look at the battle that's being waged and honestly question ourselves as to who are we fighting for. Ask, Lord, that you'd be in this place, that you would hold the devil at bay as he tries to get in these doors, in these windows, in our minds, in our ears, in our eyes. Hold him at bay, that your name would be glorified. In your son's name do we pray it. Amen. Galatians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This verse tells us that this warfare is happening on a plane that we don't even understand sometimes. That we're being attacked in ways that we don't even realize the enemy. This also tells us that we're attacked every day that there won't be a day in your life that Satan won't look at you and just salivate. Because he sees you and he sees potential. He sees a lot of potential. We're going to discuss who Satan is, what are his goals, where he works, We'll also discuss what victories we have and we can claim in this battle. What a tool. What a tool. There is power in this hammer. Sometimes you don't even see it coming. This is a heavy hammer. Why? Because it sees the potential in you to crush you. Then we see this tool. So small. So subtle. And Satan uses that. You see that nice little point? That point can get anywhere in your life. That point is so small that there isn't any part of you 
that you can shield against that point. What are Satan's goals? What does he want from you? As we talked, we said, what would Satan want from anybody? He wants worship. He wants somebody that's going to follow him unconditionally. Maybe you read that and say, that's not me. Thank God it's not you. But that is his number one goal. To make a worshiper out of you. Maybe he can't do that in your life. Well, he'll take another plan. Because he'll want you to still carry out his way. Maybe you don't worship him, but maybe you're a follower of him. He's happy with that too. And if he can't do that, He'll be just happy if you carry out his will on whatever scale possible. Maybe you're not a worshiper. Maybe you don't acknowledge him in an open way. Maybe you don't carry out his will. You know what? He's still happy because he has a long list of goals. If he can make you hate God, he is happy. I think there are very few, if none, that would say, I hate God. But he still sees potential in you. Because maybe you don't hate him, but he's happy if you're just a little bit distant from God. Whatever that means. Maybe that means not going to CFG because you got something else going on. Maybe that means not going with the youth choir because you don't want to. Maybe that means on Sunday morning you're telling your parents, you know what, Dad, uh, I'll, I'll just drive my car. And you know in your mind and in your heart, that just means you ain't going. Distance from God, he is ecstatic about. If you can't get that, he says, you know what? I know how you've been created. I know, Mr. Man, that you like that girl. I know, young lady, you find him attractive. He's been taking creatine. And man, those muscles... They're getting pretty big. He's, he's grown a bit too, I think. And look at his shoe size. He knows you. It's, it's, don't laugh. You have to realize that he knows you so well that he will put those things in front of your eyes so you see and you like. And he takes advantage of those areas of your life that he knows well. Maybe his onslaught on your life right now is a little bit different. Maybe you feel, you know, he's not, he's, I know he's attacking me, but I don't feel like, you know, he's tripping me up. If he sees that, especially in a nice strong church where the young are unified, you know what he starts doing? He starts attacking you as a youth group. He says, you know what? Don't hang out with them. Hang out with them. They're cooler. Uh, we're, we're going to this church next weekend. You don't want to drive in their car. Can you imagine the, the, the awful few hours in that car? Go in that other car. Because they're better. He will attack you as youth. If he can't do that, he makes you look at the world and say, hmm, 
That looks pretty good out there. You know, this church thing, we've created all these rules, and, and the Bible says something, we have a really, uh, we, we've t- we have a take on it that uh, it's just, it, it's so hard. Makes us love the world. If you don't love the world, has he ever made you question God? That's the first thing he did here on earth. His first specimen. He looked at Eve and he said, Did God really say he will take a truth and twist it just a little bit so it's an untruth? Did God really say he makes you question God? And if he can't question, if he can't make you question God, you know what he's comfortable with? Just cooling you off a bit. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I, I, I can't make it. I love God. He is my Savior. But I, I need to set him aside for a second because I got to focus on this. Satan is happy even with that. Nice slab of meat, huh? Thick, juicy, red. Glenn comes from a family that had some butchers. It's marbled. Glenn and I, in preparation for this form, read a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, same guy that did all the Narnia books. And this book was very different than any book I ever read before. I had started reading it years ago and never finished it. I reread it. It's amazing. This book is literally a series of letters between an experienced demon called Screwtape and his nephew that was an inexperienced demon. And they banter back and forth about how to deceive, destroy, and distract people. And one of the quotes that we pulled out of there was phenomenal. Because it changes your perspective of evil and Satan versus God. It's not just one army or the other who you're fighting for. Look at this quote. To us, and this is the demon speaking, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own selfhood at its expense. We want cattle who can finally become food. He, meaning God, wants servants who can finally become sons. Do you see the dramatic difference in outcome? God is drawing you in and saying, I want you to be my son and my daughter. Satan's saying, I want to feast on your flesh and consume you like a piece of steak. Where does Satan work? Satan has all kind of venues, all kind of arenas, big and small, to affect his impact on you. Media, you're bombarded every day by media. Music, politics, and you may say, well, I'm not political, Tom. You know what? In the classroom, if you go to school, if you're going to college, your professors, they want to They want to take over your mind. They see you as fresh meat for them. And they want to change you from what your parents taught. And a lot of the teachers have an agenda. It's a very world-focused agenda. Work. Some of you have jobs. Maybe a lot of you have jobs. 
Are there ways that Satan wants to disrupt you at work? Yeah. There's coworkers that are idiots. You know that. You've experienced that. Coworkers that drop the balls. Hey, can you cover my shift for the ninth time this week? Really? Thanks. Or coworkers that just tempt you. We say, we're going out. No, it's nothing bad. We're just going to go out. Then all of a sudden, whatever happens. In families. Satan is at work in your family. When he sees your family, if you've got a family that's a Christian family especially, he wants to disrupt that. He wants you to fight with your siblings every day, all day. He wants you to have problems with your parents. We don't think of it sometimes. We just say, oh, you know what? Mom and dad are overbearing. <sighs> I know they're trying to teach me, but they're just, they got so many rules. <laughs> and we start to try not to be around where they are. We start to physically distance ourselves. But I didn't see you all day, Dad, Mom. Because I made it a point to be apart from you. Because you're, you're irritating me. You're trying to control me. And Satan says, doesn't it feel good not to have them bother you all day long? Isn't it a nice feeling to drive in the car for the first time without Mom and Dad there? Small mistake, no one says a word. It's awesome. When you're apart from supervision... Satan has an inroad. In churches, Glenn already talked about that. Satan wants your CFG to be a difficult experience. He wants to motivate you in ways to not go or to sit in the back and make snide comments. Or maybe you're a Christian and Satan says, you know what, you are so busy. You are so busy, you really should not get involved in leadership of the CFG. Don't be part of that planning for the event. Don't, try, don't even think you've got the skill set to plan a meeting. No. That's really for other people. And what I love about that, what I love about that is, you know, when you're 13, and I've said this before in different venues, I'm going to say it again because it's, it's part of me. When you're 13 years old and you first start going to CFG or whatever it is for your church, 12 years old, and you get to go to CFG, for the, you're psyched to go to CFG. It's awesome. And those first few years are amazing. And then as you transition and maybe you become a believer, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's really for the younger ones. I don't, I don't like tolerating the, the chitter-chatter from the 13-year-olds. I just can't take it. I'm 16. I'm 17. I'm 18. I'm 19. I'm, I'm in college. I'm sophisticated. I can't handle these little kids. From me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop out of CFG. You know what that makes you? That makes you the ultimate loser. Just when these 13-year-olds are coming in and they need you to be a leader, you're like, no, I can't really, I can't really bother. You are a loser. It's your time to strap in and get some of the work done. Yeah. God will often challenge you as a young Christian to try something new, and you're not comfortable. There's a lot of things I did. I wasn't comfortable. I first started teaching at VBS. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Doing presentations. I've done tons of them by now, but I'm, I'm almost middle-aged. I've learned from experience. I knew that if Glenn and I would come out here and just stand here and start talking to you, endlessly talking in a monotone, we would lose you. So we thought, let's bring a sledgehammer. Let's bring a wedge. Make some noise. Have some fun. Satan wants to work through you to discourage other people. And he wants to discourage you. He wants to work in your mind, putting seeds of thought in there. 
He wants to work in your heart to separate you from people, to make you discouraged, to make you say, oh, you know what? You know, I'm thinking of becoming a Christian, but this church is it's not per it's really not quite for me. That's all Satan's work. It's not your intellect making a rational decision. It's Satan's work trying to deceive, disparage, create discord and dismay. The list goes on and on. I added some things in my book here. Satan wants to discourage you in relationships. He wants you to get involved in relationships at an early age and create all kinds of havoc. He loves that. He wants to create in your friendships battles, struggles, vindictiveness, conniving. Satan loves to use adrenaline. Did you know that? I like adrenaline. I really like adrenaline. But Satan likes to use it. You know how? You boys, some of you girls, in a group setting, somebody does something. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, that's kind of, that was a little bit above my recklessness level. I'm not going to, and I'm talking from direct experience, I really am not going to go there today. And the next guy does something crazy. Before you know it, a couple girls show up. You're like, man, this doesn't look good if I don't participate. So... You get your friends get you pumped up, and then all of a sudden you're doing things, and your shoulders separated, your leg is fractured, you do stupid stuff above and beyond your ability because the adrenaline and the pride that's in you. Satan loves social media and Facebook. He loves it. Not that it's evil. It's not evil. But he has ways. He has ways of turning it from something innocent into something not so great. Why do you post what you post? Amazing vacation in Hawaii. It was amazing. I read a funny thing the other day. People love to post things that sound like they're not trying to um, get attention. I read one, uh, it was very amazing, like the whole, the whole vacation one's good, but a girl types in one morning, just got out of bed, didn't brush my hair, went out to get coffee, and already the guys are hitting on me. <laughs> Life is so annoying, really? Oh, you're that good look, really? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> They're looking at you because you got a rat nest in your hair, and there's... <laughs> Dribble sliding down your face. Not because you're good looking. Guys, you do the same thing. This 357 Hemi I dropped in the car is amazing with nitrous, but I just blew the gaskets. Bummer. Oh, that was in there. nothing to do with you spouting about your car. Really? That could turn into another form altogether. Just think about it. Satan wants to mess with you in all these areas. Satan wants to get into your mind and say, you know, this Christianity thing is really interesting, but, you know, the church is so, there's so many things that go along. It's such a big package. Just, just live like the Bible says you're supposed to live, and don't worry about the whole church. The baptism thing is water, and it's like public spectrum. Just... It's not for you. It's just too much of a package, really. 
or the squabbling in church. You see, you look at the squabbling, which happens in every church, you're like, you know what? It's just, it's just not right for me. Yeah, I like this picture, Tom. It's a nice picture. It is such a nice picture. Happy couple. Um, Attractive. Attractive couple. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Wow. Yeah. And you know what I thought of is... You want, don't tell me, David, brother, you want to take them down? Come on. You know how much damage I could do to these people? Oh, this is going to be awesome. What are you thinking? What are, what's your, what are you thinking? Ah. You love that tool. Oh, the sledge of choice for a demon. Because he looks at this happiness yeah. and it makes him sick. So what do you suggest? What do you propose, well, demon friend? Well, since the sledge is the best tool, <laughs> my demon friend, <laughs> um, you know what? I hit this guy over the head. How? You know that job that he's been loving? The yeah. one with the bonus after every quarter? Yeah. It's done. It's over. I'm slamming that guy over the head with unemployment. And she's going to hate him for it every single I, day. I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I think she likes him too much. What do you suggest? I'd like to start with the premium tool. Not a blunt force instrument. Something sleek. You see? No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Just, just give me a sec. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. You know how long that takes? Oh, that's this is effective. I know. Does not even see it coming. See, it starts off like this. This is how the way it starts. Slow. Beautiful. Where were you last night, sweetie? Oh, I, I got in late because I was studying. White lie. Just a small white lie. She's actually out with the girlfriends. What difference is that going to make, though? See, we, we turn her into a lie. We're one lie upon another. And after a month, oh. it's not just the piece of paper. It's a ream oh. of paper. And then it's slowly drifting apart. And then the devastation, I can stretch out the devastation, not in one lost job, but over months. He finds out that she's been lying for months. It's like... <laughs> busted heart. Gentlemen. FRS, just saying. Scion, I like. Yeah. Look at those wheels. You lowered fender it. Flares, fender flares. You lowered it. You yeah, know the nitrous is in there, man. Oh, yeah. It's got just enough, but it's a sleeper at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't know. Like, Scion, seriously? Four cylinder. I got a 5.0. What do you suggest? It's beautiful. I take the sledge to that car. One night, twisty road, a little bit of mist. You see where I'm going. I see you. Bam! On the tree. Oh, wrapping it. Oh, Full yeah. Wrap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's nice. I, I, I tend to differ because once again, it's, it's, blunt, it's just too fast. I like the drip effect. See, what's going to happen is the nitrous is going to cause a problem with the injectors. <laughs> and it's going to be 1400 bucks. Then three weeks later, the suspension that he lowered. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cracked the spring. Oh, man. Another 650 And over a course of months, he's going to be broke and hate the car because it's killing it. 
Oh, oh you ladies. You ladies are going to get it, too. Oh, oh yeah. Because you know what? You like those shoes. Louboutins. They look nice. Very nice. Very nice. Premium shoe. You're not suggesting that we could intervene with a pair of shoes, are you? Are really? you kidding me? <laughs> you know how much she loves these shoes? And you're going to use a sledge. Ah. Oh. Tell me how. You know what? Entertain me. She's got the dress on. She's getting ready. She sees the shoes that she's been prepping for months. They're worked in. She was wearing them at home. Got them nice and, and tweaked. You know, that leather's got to get time to break down a bit. She's coming down the stairs, being really careful. Bam! Cracked ankle. Oh, that's the sledge. Nice. Compound fracture with blood? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. She ain't wearing those shoes for a while. <laughs> that's nice. And yet, I think there would be too much sympathy in that scenario. No, it's so fast. Want, it's so hard. I would like to drive my favorite wedge in a much better scenario. Oh. Business, okay. Okay. Bought these shoes. How much money, Glenn? How much? Thousand bucks. Oh. Thousand bucks on credit, my friend. For for the prom. Nineteen percent interest. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Here's what's exciting. Here's my plan. Okay. Shows up at prom. Six other girls, same exact shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that is called devastation on a very See, now all those girls are, are mortal enemies. And it's going to last for months. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. It's a pair of shoes. It's a car to take you to CFG. It's a beautiful relationship. Beautiful married relationship, I want to say, by the way. Satan will use whatever instrument to his benefit. Sledge or the wedge and anything in between. I want to share a story with you. Unfortunately, this, this was shared in the form I did for the adults the other day. And Michael Friend, a dear friend of mine, shared this with a 17-year-old class. So those 17-year-olds have to hear the story again. It's not my fault, it's his. I'm throwing him under the bus in front of all of you. <laughs> And it's very likely that he did not tell the story as good as I can because it's my story. This story only came to my mind while we were preparing this forum. And this story is about an experience that I made where I was having a good day. So I'm having a fine day. And in a very subtle way over the course of the events of a certain situation, Satan crept in and just started turning the situation where he had influence made me not at that moment only in our preparation made me think about wow he came in so subtle and slyly used my humanity so here's the story I um, watched my boys play sports for many years and um, in recent years um, they've been playing some flag football just a fun thing and um, this most recent season that just ended a few months ago, a month and a half ago, um, they were actually on the same team together, so it's kind of cool. Very small team. There's, you have to have five players. We only had six on the team, so sometimes we were down to five. And it was the, uh, the championship tournament that we were in. 
And uh, <clears throat> we did not have a big team in terms of even many people and size. We had some guys up to 17 that were playing against us, 18. And um, the first game of the tournament, we were missing one guy, our primary quarterback, so we had another guy sub it in, and he did a great job, won the game handily. It was a great experience, a lot of fun. Uh, but as we progressed now, the next game was against the best team in the league. And I knew it was going to be a very big battle for us. We had just finished a game, we had no subs, and these guys were bigger than us, and I, we had played them before, they had beaten us, they were going to be really tough to beat. But I thought, you know what, let's just do the best we can and try to win this game. The primary coach was gone, so I was subbing as well, so I did the best that I could, I knew it was going to be a little battle. So, first half went by, and we were down by two touchdowns, it wasn't bad. I thought, you know, we're, we're kind of almost still in that. I really, I didn't have hope of winning that much, but I thought, you know, at least we're in it. And at the end of the first half, again with our substitute quarterback doing very well considering a very tough team, um, we were nearly uh, about to score a touchdown. We were very close to the end zone, for those of you that know football. Um, very close to scoring points. And uh, the half was almost over, so we had one more chance. It was fourth down to score a touchdown. And the pass was thrown perfectly right to the receiver who was just inside the end zone. And at the last minute... Big guy, this is the smallest player on our team about to catch the ball. Big guy comes from behind, this is flag football, hammers the ball down, and flattens our guy. Flattens him. The smallest guy on our team. He's not even, he's 14. Look, small kid, great athlete. And right away on my sidelines, I'm like, umpires, what's, what's that all about? This is flag football, my small guy just got flattened. Umpire said, well, she kind of came over and talked to me and said, well, you know, we, he got a piece of the ball, disrupt the pass, and the rest was um, incidental. incidental contact. So halftime, whistle blew, we were down by two times, I called the boys over, I said, listen, guys, I want you to know this is a tough game, we're kind of in it, it's going to be an uphill battle, second half, because we're getting tired, but what I just learned is in flag football, if you knock the ball down and bump into the person, it's called... Incidental contact, there's no flag. Just remember that as the game goes forward. Because I want to play on an even playing field, and that's a good thing to know. So the game progresses, and the second half kind of got a little bit out of hand. We were down by a few more touchdowns, and it really looked like we were not going to win. I started letting different guys play quarterback just for the fun of it. It was kind of turning into, let's just have a fun game. And before I go, oh, one thing I forgot. I have to tell you this, because this is important. The team that we were playing was a good team, but the guy that flattened our player at the end of the first half, um, he was the most obnoxious guy on the team. He wore a bandana, and I will refer to him henceforth as Bandana Boy. <laughs> now, Bandana Boy is the kind of guy that, if he, even if he's a marginal play, he will prance around and dance and woohoo! Just like that. <laughs> Make a lot of obnoxious sounds, just like that. And it kind of kind of got under my skin, you see. My humanity was saying, of all the players on this team, this guy irks me. So the plane's going forward, team's losing, and we're not going to make it out of this game with a victory because time's running out. There's maybe like another time for another player or two. We've got the ball. Substitute quarterback's in, not doing that great. And um, it was either the last or second last play of the game. He throws a pass down the field. And unfortunately, it really was not to one of our players. But who was standing there like this, ready to receive it? Yes, yes, 
Bandana boy. I mean, it wasn't even an effort to make this interception. It was like right to him. I'm like, oh, I got my cool. And then something something beautiful. Out of the corner of my eye, I see one of our players speeding towards this guy that's about to pitch an interception. High rate of speed. And at the last possible moment, he didn't get there soon enough. The ball got into the hands of the receiver, and yet knocks the ball down. Stopped the interception. <laughs> he stopped the interception by knocking the ball down actually after the guy had it in his hands. And I was like, oh. but the best part was that the velocity that he had and the energy that he carried to knock the ball down resulted in a massive level of incidental contact. Bandana boy hit the ground hard. And I don't think I said much, but in my heart I was like, perfect! That was an awesome end of this game. We lost the game, but I walked out like so excited that our player had saved us from the preening, peacock strutting bandana boy. But the reality is, that was my human nature. That was me exulting in vindictiveness, retribution. I was not happy with Bandana Boy. And I was ecstatic. He got taken down that day. And the moral of that story is, it's very easy for Satan just to take a moment of your life and turn it into something that isn't quite right anymore. You know, we look at these tools. We look at these scissors. All rusty. Ready to do their damage. Whether it's the massive hit, whether it's the small turn, like Tom felt, where he was ecstatic at the revenge. Satan's tools are vast. And if you look at these hands, these are hands of experience. See, what Satan also has up on us is that he's seen your story before. He's seen your story before a generation ago. Maybe he saw it in your dad. Maybe he saw it in your mom. It knows that what you crave is very similar to them. He has experience. Those hands are weathered. Look at all that dirt under those nails. That ugly dirt. That hammer. And what he wants to do is take those hands of yours and bind them together. Why? Because your food. You're a means to an end. Those hands, he doesn't want you dabbling in other things. He doesn't want you happy doing what you want to do. He wants you locked up with everything he has planned for you. Those nails. Those nails 
have a way of getting into your skin a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper again, and having that grip. You see that picture? I hate this picture. Because this hand is so unassuming, but it's being gripped. It's being clawed at by someone that can't stand the guts of you. You have to know that Satan hates your guts. But there is an absolute reality that's diametrically opposed to that grip. And that there is a God who reaches out to you. A God that isn't going to force you to serve Him. A God that isn't going to grip and rip and force and connive and make your life like a puppet. He reaches out to you so you can reach out to Him. When is Satan least effective? When does that reaching, when can it happen? These hands were dirty. But the Bible talks about the washing of the Word. And that when you are in the Word, which is Jesus Christ, He cleanses those dirty hands. And that whatever has been caked on them, whatever those hands have been into, the water will wash them. His blood is strong enough to cleanse any sin. When we discussed and we said, when is Satan held at bay? You know what we both thought of? We both thought of EMU. We thought of Eastern Camp. Why? It's because we all come here, and whether it's your parents or your church, we come here praying that the Spirit would have its free work. There are hours and hours of people on their knees praying that the Spirit would have its effectiveness in your lives. And maybe you've prayed. Maybe you're praying now because you know you're under attack. Maybe you prayed last night and said, God, take me. I can't stand the dirt anymore on my hands. Take me. Eastern Camp is a great place to start. A lot of people start here. Go home, the washing of the word, talking to a minister, talking to a mentor. But you have to also realize that you are heavily influenced by the people you hang around. If you hang around people that are not inspirational to you, that are not helping you become a better Christian, it's not going to go well. You have to pick your friends really carefully at school. Who's mentoring you? Even if they're in church, is this the guy that's mentoring you? Spiritually speaking, is that what the people you hang around like? Oh, they're sloppy in the Word. They're not that motivated. They're not following CFG. They're like, no, don't worry about it. No, let's not worry. No. This is not the kind of spiritual mentor I want you to have. Ladies? Nope. Same deal. This is not the picture. And you know, it's a, it's a physically ugly picture, but spiritually speaking... <laughs> Spiritually speaking, 
These are not the people that you want to aspire to hang around. This is a cool image I found. It reminds me of like a Christian warrior riding on the Lion of Judah, blindfolded because God's leading the way, but he's got the sword, he's got the shield. Think about the people you hang around or the people that are hanging around you. Is this the image that they get from you? Inspirational? You're in the Word, you're getting better, you're getting stronger? Or just something else? Glenn and I want to do something that, as far as we know, has never been done before. But we figured this is a great venue for something new. We wanted to leave you with almost like a little sermonette snippets to inspire you. And so we're going to do something called Tag Team Preaching. Tag Team Preaching. Tag Team Preaching. We're spending the last few minutes of this forum covering first four areas of temptation that are a battle for you going home. And we know it. And then four areas that we want to inspire and encourage you in. Explain the field. Hmm? Explain the field. Yeah. Hebrews 3 says, While it is said, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. This picture, it's a nice picture. What's the guy doing? Beautiful green field. He's sitting there, like this. A lot of you spiritually are in the chair right now. And you're thinking. And the field is there ready for you, but you're thinking because the main thing in your mind right now is that, you know what, I like this green field. I think Christianity is a great thing. The green field of Christianity is amazing, but I, uh, I think I'm going to wait a little bit on that. Satan's saying, Christianity is a great idea for tomorrow, just not for today. Satan wants you to understand that Christianity is a great idea, but not for today. There's still two nights left at camp. You may get called, and then Friday night, you may even get called again for the umpteenth time, and you may say, you know what? <laughs> Definitely got called. I'm so glad God's calling me, but I'm not going to respond today. He's an executive. He's got that suit on. He's worked hard to get there. Maybe you've worked hard to get where you are. And you know what? This Christianity thing seems like a lot of work. I got to do this. You want me to be a leader in CFG? I got to go to CFG. Then I got to go to uh, Saturday night. Then we got Sunday a couple times. And then choir on Tuesday. That's a lot of work. I got my own stuff going on. This is not for me. You know why? Because I'm the top brass. I'm an executive in my own world. I call the shots of my own life. I don't want somebody else calling the shots for my life. I'm too good for this. Dumb. My plate is full. I got so much going on. You know, there's school. I'm getting into a new school this year. I've got a lot of homework. There's so much stuff going on. This Christianity thing is just very time-consuming, and it's just too much for me. Let me read for you an amazing verse. This is out of the Amplified out of Luke 21. But take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed 
weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worries and cares, partaking to the business of this life, and lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. I've seen the church. I've seen the people in it. You know what they are? They're a bunch of hypocrites. The Bible tells them what they do. They don't do it. I heard what my uncle said when he didn't think I was listening. They are a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with this church. Not for me. Not a church of of liars that say they follow the Bible, but they don't. I don't want anything to do with it. Okay, we're done talking about negatives. We're talking about positive things now. We want to encourage you in four different areas that you need to ask yourself very critically going forward in life. Four areas that are important to everyone in this room. Edify them, brother. You've got decisions to make. You're here at camp, and you've been called, and you have a decision to make. The Bible talks about this in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to Jesus. You have a decision to make. We heard last night, I think the second to last song was about, how was the, what was the last phrase in that song? Be, it was like, there's no more there's no more sin. There's no more guilt. There's no more, I'm not, I'm not accountable. God has saved me. Salvation is free. It's not this rule book. It's a free gift that God wants to give you. And for those of you that have been impacted this year at camp and maybe touched by sermons, we want you to know that salvation is an amazing gift that God just says, here, take it. Receive it. It's for the asking. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to achieve something. Just receive it. We talked all this week about in classes that God created the world. And he's the sovereign God over the world. He created each of you specifically for a specific purpose. And he's calling out to make you understand that he has a plan that's designed for you. We talked about the other day fullness. The only way that your heart can really be full the only way that you can have a substantial feeling of, I'm not empty anymore, it won't be through adrenaline, won't be through relationships, it'll be through knowing Christ. Why? Because he designed you that way. He designed you that way. The only way for you to have satisfaction in your heart is to know him. And to have, like we heard last night in the message, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Take some time to grow in that. That's okay. Salvation is waiting for you. You've been created specifically. Tom mentioned that. So specific that God has made you with a talent and with a gift 
that he wants to use for the kingdom. And if I'm sitting in your chair, I'm saying, I I don't even know what my talent is. Understand, you've been created perfectly. You've been created with a talent. And when God uses that talent, he is glorified. And every time you give that to God, you you grow closer to him. The talent you have, what He's given you, whatever it is, He will use to beautify your relationship with Him. We go to the second to last slide now. This is not what God's interested in for you. This is what He's interested in. Get out of the dumb chair. Get into the garden. He wants you to help with the garden of Christianity. Get your knees dirty, your hands dirty. Till the soil, pull the weeds. Get active in your CFG. Understand that the beauty of Christianity is not showing up at church and hearing a sermon. The beauty of Christianity is having your hands in the soil and being part of God's work. That's amazing stuff. God wants you to participate. Have ownership in your church experience. Because that is what he's after. I want to read a verse in closing. Psalm 93 says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waves, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Life is probably pretty good for you right now. Maybe not for all of you. But as we heard last night from Brother Mark's testimony, every life has hurricanes. Every life has storms. Every life has difficulty. God wants to be with you through those storms. And you know what the nice thing is? Last slide. We are in his hands. He's the one that produces that new sprout. And for many of you that made a decision for Christ this week or that are recently baptized, this is what you look like in the hands of God, sprouting up something beautiful and fresh and new. He wants to put you in the garden and watch you grow to a mighty oak. Don't let Satan with the sledge or the wedge or the fire disrupt you in your walking to have a great relationship with God. That's what he wants for you and that's going to make you filled. God bless you for coming.